0: Hello, and welcome to episode 3 of Life Before the Alien Magic. It is titled, The Birth of the Three. And here it begins. At the time of the solar eclipse of the land known as the Abyssin, there took place the fulfillment of prophecy, the promise of hope, the beginning of sorrows, a time of war among the races. On that auspicious night, there came the birth of the man, who would be king among a distinguished race of men. He was named Chase, the first in a line of kings of the people known as the Dragon Bread, also known as the Wukdu. He awakened at the moment the moon passed in front of the sun, to the silent color and solemnity of the Ice Cathedral, eternal home to all dragons. Created within hours of the Abacene, emerging from the fiery furnace, of the world's birth born from a primordial stew in a rusty cauldron summoned by a vengeful witch's craft born to the care of the respectful prudent long-suffering dragon just one welcome the dragon chirped allow me to introduce you to the world you will inherit together with the army you will command he extended his wings to their fullest reach Sheltering the child with a hide thicker than an elephant's, then tenderly scooping up the pink child from out of the percolating, milky, cinnamon-smelling essence, and drawing him in tight to his bosom. The chubby infant extended a hand and touched the bristling chin of the reptile. You are the death of the dragons, but also the dragon's future, with the one seed you sire. A dragon's blood flows through your veins. I can see it. Feel it. You must know that, when called upon, we will come to your aid. Our frightful cataclysm, not seen since the gods fought among themselves, will follow. Make your decision when victory is most certain, when the enemy appears defeated. Take this warning to heart, for you will not see the ruse for what it is. Listen to me and be cautious. You must be smart. You must be desperate. You must acknowledge your reign is at an end. The event that will follow is the annihilation of most of our number. Your death and the end of your reign will come soon after, only for the eventual rise of the Wukdu nation. The dragons will not die. They will sleep for a millennium, then return with the death of all of our numbers coming within a hundred years so many years from now only a passing of, uh, of day into night for us dragons as for you our hope as well as mankind's hope our blood must prevail into the future it must enter tomorrow through one and only one man it must pass through you to our to your seed to your eventual heirs the last of your line the one man who will bring war to the abyssinian by restoring the reign of the dragons. We will return the dragon-bred, dead for years, to the rightful place of eminence, and will govern the nations and the races of the abyssinian Just one shuddered. He knew the Wukdu would not be just, not like his namesake. No, the dragons and their ilk would be cruel and violent. Only King Chase was his hope at justice. The cheery mask of the infant crumbled and washed slowly away, as if he had been wounded, stricken by an asp. The years passed away swiftly, a book flipping through the pages. The child pushed and fought, then slid and landed soundly on two fat feet. Now somber and sullen, and smart beyond his years, he commanded, Bring me a dragon, that that I may slay one. Just one belched flame, the light dancing off the shifting and popping scales, glistening off the contours of the sheets of ice. He snarled, you are a human, very much a human, there is no doubt. You are most arrogant, an ugly, belligerent, foolish little man. You are rash. Do you test us? Your own family? Where is the dragon blood that is inside you? Act on it. We honor one of our own. We respect him. We must have him. We will serve him. I will not bring you a dragon, only that you may act on this weakness. Deny your humanity, as we must. Barbed one, the bronze-headed dragon, growled. This man is not the future of the dragons. What will he do? Kill every last one of us? This man obviously offers a substantial prize to this witch. We must slay her, as she is a threat to us. Don't you see it? He intends to kill his only son. Bring us another witch, one whose designs are not tainted. We require another eclipse. We can wait another thirty years. Look at him, breathe him in, his flame. He is the death of all dragons. He must be slain. Our future depends upon it. Jealous one snarled. Have him kill the just one, as he is least among our own. Your words ring hollow. You speak as humans do. You promise tyranny and slavery by offering peace. The death of the dragons must never come. The boy studied all the dragons silently, surveying them patiently, as if observing and appreciating the communication offered by a broad, Multi-layered mural. I accept fate, as you have. It burdens the actions and the words of the dragons. If there was no fate, there would be no wukdu, no promise for the future, only grief and despair. The eclipse, the witch, these were determined a generation ago now. Bring me a dragon, whichever one it is, he is deserving to be slain. I am tomorrow, you must know that. The dragon, pragmatic one, unfurled his tail, snapping at it like a whip, huffed a cloud of steam which curled around his copper head and condensed on the rippling rivets. His talons furrowed the clinging frost of the floor. He engaged the youth, his eye focusing, training as if on thorough shadow. You must know my guilt, he declared. I'm as much human as just one. I am worthy of death, do take my life, but the toddler chase, interlocking like a pair of wheels, aging, unfolding like a vibrant flower, its thorns wet with dew, that bejeweled the cavern, decried, no, I do not accept sacrifice, I would, if your sacrifice paid dividends, only humans must sacrifice, but it does not No, he thrust a fat finger forward toward dragon curious one and chimed with his melodic adolescent voice the ringing silver bells bring that dragon forward what's this you say unraveled curious one as if molten gold spilt expanding as a congealing suffocating pool in all directions as if he had lost the will to hold together as if he sought to hide beneath the floor to mask himself by not being i do want to know what it is to die it is true but i am undeserving of such a judgment even i who doesn't go a day without being perplexed know that bring the dragon to me i do not doubt all dragons know what they are i know what i am i am human yes but something more i know what i must do that dragon must die without saying a word peering at the reflection of the boy in the blades that covered their bulk the multi-layered reflection that offered the dragons truth in their own unique observations that thrust and pounced and parried and countered six dragons dancing and defeating pounced on the dragon curious one and defiled and profaned his unyielding difficult gleaming flesh with her severe hands what is this warranted the dragon sentenced to death why have you done this to me i am worthy of life if you are worthy of life maintained the boy his unwieldy limbs snapping mercilessly into place his rapid age expanding gaining like an ever-consuming fire like the frame to a tent he found himself shedding his translucent diseased skin "'it flaking off like bulbous deposits of wax "'and pooling beneath him, "'then you are most certainly worthy of death.' "'You expect death,' swore depraved one. "'Why not live for the the now? "'Why not just seek pleasure? "'That's what I can't answer about any of you. "'You are all foreign to me, as much as I am foreign to me.' "'Jealous one claimed, "'I wish I was more human.' than any one of you what is this noise i honor life which is why i have so much more to give persuaded curious one the boy rankled the serpent the entreaty clamored it besieged it chafed distracting the dragons marveled at the sparkle and the and the tears that burrowed beneath the sheen that glazed the walls the dragons had been invincible in this cavern they saw terror in one another, which made it a weapon that perplexed as much as it frightened. It promised terror and death, something most uncommon in the cathedral, as if he had snuck it in with him. Chase approached the royal cauldron, where the witch stood her ground, until her mind failed her, her rationality ducking down a rabbit hole. She swiftly backed away. Chase reached, he dared, he touched the hem of the woman's dress, transformed even stronger. He searched, he plied, he worked the edges of the pot as though he could mold it. The transformation created a sword of honor and distinction. The transformation was so sudden, he felt himself complete and immortal. Anything he touched itself blossomed and corrupted, both touched by color and profaned. He picked up the weapon. He found his way amidst the forest of immense legs, supporting the furious and afraid, leaving the poison of time with every gentle touch. He confronted Curious One. You must sleep. That for the crime of not believing in yourself. Do not worry. You will come out of this stronger. I do not know much, but I do know this. And with that said, Chase took the blade he tapped the one vulnerable place for the dragon. There was a shout, a cry that defied the ice, that caged his brethren, that succeeded in communicating his despair to those long dead. It was followed by the sound of hundreds of coins simultaneously released, then of a crushing collapse. Chase dropped his sword. As the dragons backed away, regarding the boy with fear and perplexity, stricken, wounded, realizing their mortality, slithering away and was gone, one made an utterance, and each one uttered it. It was the first time any one of them knew the unbearable thorn in their flesh. Fighting the stubborn darkness like a fragile, unsheltered flame, he said, you should have not brought the dragon curious one before me he was the only one that could have revealed my one weakness you could have kept me in check yes i am the dragon's greatest threat i do intend to end their kind despite being a part of you you talk of the future that does not concern me millennia long after my own blood will survive i look forward to the death of the dragons they must die if the Wukdu are to prevail. I may not be able to kill all of you, but I will do what I can, all so that the Wukdu will not suffer your vengeance. You, the source of our spirit, the content of my blood, is our greatest threat. We must defeat you. We must defeat death. I will summon you. Your own death will follow. The first battle of the Wukdu... That will be the last battle for all the Abyssin. We kill this man, convinced disparaging one. I'm not above killing this man, even if he is the hope of all the dragons. Such a clod of dust. The might of the dragons has never been proven. Our has, has never been proven our downfall. We have prevailed in the Abyssin for thousands of years because of our might. There is no killing him. Determined, just one his gaze is hostile and wild and merciless as animal flame we must trust our fate to others if we are to sleep and come out on the other side and live stronger and wiser than we are now we are weak now we are cowardly despite being the greatest race that ever was there is defeat and sleep if we are ever to know the brave life again and rule the peoples of the abyssin, the hope to kill this one man must keep the flame burning if we are ever to come out on the other side and live forever. jealous one chortled his breath exhaled as through a chimney flue. Take this fright from out of our place. I must admit, I haven't the heart for defeat, I know. Should we kill this man, we, the greatest race to have ever lived, will perish, never to return to the Abacene. It was why we recruited the witch in the first place, for this perilous gambit. And, silent and shedding and ever becoming, just one lifted the flaking boy, him on his back and hobbled out of the chamber, becoming more and more a snake than a human, becoming less and less alive, becoming led, becoming a star. I do hate you. From my throne I will hunt every last one of you. All to deliver him where his exhaustion dictated he drop him off. He was weeping. Humanity must be courageous and skilled beyond what the dragons had come to expect from them. They must hope to defeat them if the dragons were ever to rule once more and become invincible. Defeat them, not once, not twice, but three times. Yes, the first defeat was at hand. Once Chase summoned them, for the battle that was not what it seemed. King Chase of the Wuktu was not what he appeared to be, for the dragon bread were created not for the betterment of humanity, but for the success of the dragons." Captain Pren Hook sat huddled together with a half dozen other half elves amidst the ghostly, steadfast birch trees and phantom white boulders, cold and miserable in the chilly rain that descended upon their darkened campsite. The captain regarded the hissing, popping embers as a tiresome beast trying to sleep, to ignore the chill, shifting and shaking violently his coat, demonstrating his agony. Captain Prenthook sought to enter the flame, being half-elf and half-human, and not accepted by either. He couldn't deny he was the beast. He was a part of a party of beings, targeting elves and torturing elves, paid for the service, as well as their silence by other elves. Captain Prenthook had a long history of acting criminally and of being discreet. The murders prolonged the peace as each race sought vengeance for the deaths, but refused any escalation to a full-blown war, as the last war of the races nearly annihilated the kings of men. The peace was essential, but animosity remained. The elf lords would not be targeted by men, as long as some price was paid. The elves were curious, He understood that the elves, back long ago, more than a millennium, when they were engaged with the gods who were in the process of creating them and participating actively with them, had chosen universally to be cold. Cold? Yes, and not a condition they could dismiss by getting used to. Cold and always cold. Cold and never knowing warmth. He had also known that the elves always appreciated as they were on the edge of an abyss, that death was so very close that they entered on it often, that each heartbeat was a gift, not an expectation. For the first time ever, his party was recruited to kill humans. He didn't like what this meant for the Abacene or the half-elves, but he was being paid. The captain's frown channeled the rain down his chin and within his clothing. The water navigated the seam between his elf half and his human half. There was no uniting the elf half of him with the human half. It were for him like ice bound to flame. Should the elf side be courageous or indulging in the beauty of nature, the human half craved sex and the answer to other base hungers and desires. Captain Prendhook hated the elves. He respected the elves, but he knew that the elves need win the Shadow War, the war between elves and men, for the future sake of the, his kind. All the elves knew what the humans did not that the elves did slaughter their own by other elves, to blame humans, to dictate terms that humans need follow, if to prevent a costly war with the elves, a war like all wars of the humans with the elves that the humans could not hope to win. If only the elves could be be annihilated, but that would never be a reality. An infant's incessant crying was carried on the swirling, howling wind, making the water rush vertically up the length of their bodies, as disturbing as the presence of any elf. The eclipse had occurred a fortnight ago. It was his job, together with the soldiers that accompanied him, to identify each newborn in the Aix River Valley, born to human women, and slaughter them, for fear of the coming king, the future hope and dread of the Abyssin, as prophesied of. It was what the man who offered him the substantial amount of gold would want, the one man he confided in, the only man that he told about the actions of elves. "'Come on,' Captain Prenthook motioned to his comrades. "'A vulgar gesture, the action of his hand "'served to detract from anything elf or human. "'It defied translation. "'It struck fear in others who saw it, "'and the seven entered the sleeping village of Copperwheel, "'skulking quietly, becoming the shadows. "'They moved effortlessly. "'They silently drifted from one hovel to another.' To the next, huddled together to draw rare heat from each other to chase courage. Drawn to the distressed child, crowding around his house, as if the place were tomorrow's dawn. Prig Havel, the quarrelsome half-elf, always weighing in favor of his half-elf half, identified the one house that was the source of the child's crying, The house's shingles, blistered and warped by the elements, worked themselves loose like teeth. The seven crowded the door, relishing the hunt, intoxicated by the kill. There was nothing like understanding your life has meaning. Captain Prenthook listened. His concentration of what lay beyond coming in waves awarded the satisfaction of completing the task. He applied his hand, to the door reading of vulnerability within a void where their attack would succeed seeing it plainly before wrestling it open captain print feared that one day half elves the frightful killers they really were would be approached by the other races if that were the case the world would need war Elves would fight along men, alongside men, if only to eradicate his own. He had a stash a parcel hidden away, containing proof of both elves and men, endeavoring to allow hostilities to continue between the two races. He and his kind might be slain, but there would surface justice and peace among the races. There was the twang of a crossbow. Captain Prithook shuddered. He observed death the elf's sibling, within arm's reach, then acknowledged with a grateful nod the half-elf that had swiftly intercepted the bolt, snatching it out of the air with his hand. Blood streaked across. He caught his palm. The captain reached out, grabbing death by the shoulder. The two knew one another quite well, though death had always left the man disappointed. He saw himself, in these brief moments, standing over his dead body, moment where alternate realities diverged he didn't care to ever enter the opposing reality and was terrified he would one day find himself dead you wouldn't have me baby you will not claimed the midwife dropping the crossbow in a swift motion bold as she was assured victory by the gaze of the infant she scooped up the infant and she ran out the maw of the rear door into the indefatigable rain and darkness, the two elements, brother and sister, corralling the pair. They would goad the pair back into hell's jealous embrace. The half-elves chased the mother and child as hungrily as they pursued sunlight and warmth. The half-elves agreed, apparently, on pursuing the pair. They recognized something hostile to them in the infant. The midwife ran silent, navigating the difficult ground, succeeding in avoiding those things great and base, pursuing her, though the infant she cradled cried without end, crying not for his discomfort, crying for a world that he would kill. Captain Prennhoek trained his peculiar vision on the child. Though his human side shouted it down, the serene elf sighed. Enjoyed the expanding, colorful mural that was the infant, who he was and the prize he offered. His threat and her potential shot out in all directions, defying the darkness like a streaking meteor, clinging heavily to branches like wet snow. The captain stopped. Who was this child? He need not die. Piggle Greaves knelt and touched a bent blade of grass. Yes, he chirped in Sparrow. The two had run this way, east, in the direction of the conniving, forbidding forest, a forest that would not offer any who entered easy passage, a forest that would do what it could to hide the infant from those who sought to slay him. The forests nurtured hope and terror simultaneously, odd fruit on the same tree, all of it poison. The seven shot up, acknowledging the footfalls, the breaths, the muffled heartbeats. Captain Prenthook chirped in squirrel. He shot out two fingers, one way and another. The other half elves responded, summoning not, be- not beasts nor heroes, but the lonely odd hunter within each, swiftly running to intercept the woman, springing like cats before the child could awaken the village, and offer the humans within the threat of war and end of end the fragile truce. Should the child and woman disappear, there would be suspicion that trolls were behind the abduction. If the child was slain, it could cause a civil war among the peoples of the Axe River Valley. But the presence of half elves, the presence of half elves, threatened a war among the races. Copper wheel must not awaken. Captain Prenthook acknowledged the success of his fellow troops. It entered his tallow skin like a thorn, which hurt more than it helped. He could hear the swift movement of the other at six. The muscles gorged with blood, the hunger eating a void, looking to defeat it. Like wolves, they intercepted the woman. They subdue her. They broke her. They grappled her tight with secure grip, with tools, with, with teeth, that wrenched and pained the woman and served to isolate her from her burden and blanket the stubborn hope that she brought into the world, as Captain Prenthook silently materialized, a form that fought the wet and the dark for substance, developed, shattering the egg, coming to life, he made his way to where they stood. But once Captain Prenthook was in the company of the woman and child, he noted something, something that struck him as odd, something that caused him fright, something that offered him hope, something that could not be defeated, something that must be arbitrated with. The half-elf surfaced and dominated. A shark on the surface of the sea It sent hot plasma through from his heart to his head and hands and feet the elf-side knew the threat as though he stood before a roaring lion the human-side on the other hand fell flat it acknowledged the tyrant in the child the elf-side had never demonstrated itself in this fashion before how close was he to being a whole elf how thoroughly worthless was his humanity again for a brief moment he stood over his dead body before it flitted away like a carrion bird. So that concludes part one of this um, third prequel of uh, entitled The Birth of the Three. Um, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, I'll have something again in, uh, next week. Thank you, bye.